0: Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything real estate invested, related, legal tax, business advice, you name it, we got it here, Royal Legal Solutions if you're a real estate investor. And I'm here uh, with a good friend of mine, Edwin. He's gonna be sharing with us today a best deal. So Edwin, give us a little bit of context of, you know, who you are before you get into this best deal. What is your life like? What is, what's in your mindset going into this deal? Um, really set the stage for us.
1: Okay, fantastic. Thanks for allowing me to be here and and talk to your audience. Um, So when I got started in real estate investing, I was like probably 99.9% of every American out there. I wanted to get started in real estate and buy a property, fix it up and turn around and sell it. Um, However, I didn't have the time, the experience or the knowledge, which I believe are the key uh, ingredients to be successful in any venture, uh, much less Uh, Real estate investing. So uh, I was in the military at the time. I was actually, uh, I had been in at that point for about seven years. I was on the path to becoming a Green Beret. So I was going through some pretty intensive training. And I came across a real estate investor club there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And uh, this gentleman stood at the back of the room and he would say after the meeting, every meeting, If any of you real estate investors need money for your deals, I'm a source of private funding. Come talk to me afterwards. Well, like most everyone, I thought everybody needs to know the money guy. I need to go talk to this guy. So I went back there, described a little bit what I wanted to do, where I was at in life. And he said, you know, Ed, uh, I respect what you're doing. I think what your your service to our country is great. He said, but as far as real estate investing, uh, I don't think I would loan you money if you're the last person on earth. Uh, that That took me back because i I valued my word i 'm a man of integrity, I hold my name very very high that is more more important to me than gold um, so having a good name is very very important to me, and when he said that, it really I took offense to that, and he went on to explain what I just said you know i didn 't have the time, the knowledge, or the experience to be successful at real estate investing uh, He said what you 've got to do is Carve out in your schedule, carve out time to start gaining knowledge and uh, knowledge and understanding of the real estate sphere. So once you carve out the time and once you gain the knowledge, then you start implementing that, and then you'll gain the experience. Um, so I thought, okay, well, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. So after a few months of going back and forth or going back to the real estate club meeting, he came up to me and he said, you know, you're you're obviously pretty passionate about this. You're coming to these meetings. Have you ever thought about becoming the bank? And I thought, well, that's a, that's a really novel idea. Uh, no, I've, I've never thought of becoming the bank. And he said, well, I want to introduce you to some gentlemen and uh, a lady that have been instrumental in helping me get to where I'm at. So I ventured and I found five mentors, which I'm a huge fan of. If any of your listeners uh, are struggling on where to go next in their real estate investing career, Definitely, you have to have a mentor that 's uh, absolutely critical in key to being successful and gaining that success faster than than normal. Uh, having that mentorship and so these five individuals started to mentor me, and I was blessed uh, to be in underneath their mentorship and their leadership and their teaching. And so for the next couple of years, all I did was learn about real estate investing, but from the perspective of loaning the money, not necessarily borrowing the money. And I fell in love with the idea of being able to shift the risk to someone else, as well as mitigate my risk. So being a, and through this time that I, I learned real estate investing, I became a green beret. And so I was on an operational ODA operational detachment alpha uh, seven, three, two, five. We were a combat dive teams assigned with Seventh special forces group based out of Eglin air force base. And so I'm an operator, I'm out there running and gunning. And at the same time I'm studying while I'm deployed, while I'm on training missions, I'm studying how to do this business of becoming the bank. And so uh, I, I started to implement the things that I had learned. I started to make those connections. And in 2014, we were deployed to Afghanistan. It had been about three years that I had been really understanding everything that I could about the lending space, how to mitigate the risk, how to analyze deals, how to look at a real estate investment project from the lender's perspective. And, uh, in 2014, I had a few buddies that I had told what I was doing and they're like, well, it sounds interesting. You know, we don't have the time, knowledge, or experience to get out there and rehab a property, but we want to be associated. We want to have our hands in a project like that. I said, well, when I find one, you know, we can put our money together and and we'll do the loan and we'll do a fractionalized note and uh, we'll go from there. And so sure enough, uh, I was, it was the early, uh, early spring, late spring of 2014. And we, uh, I got, we are getting ready to go on a mission. It was going to be a three-day mission turned into a five-day mission, uh, pretty hairy and intensive. But before the mission, I got about uh, two weeks before that, got contacted by a, bor- a borrower, a real estate investor in the area of Fort Walton Beach. And he said, hey, I've got, I'm looking at a project, wanted to know if this will be something you're looking to fund. And so I said, well, send me over my requirements. I had already built out my guidelines, so I knew what documents I needed to see. He sent those over to me in an email. I reviewed them. I sent uh, a request for a BPO from a local agent there, which I had established that relationship. They came back. The values matched what I needed to see. Uh, The loan to value was good. The real estate investor was bringing some money to the table, which made us in a safer position um and on top of that he was providing all the renovation costs he just needed help with the with the purchase and so uh we went ahead and I ordered title from the title company on an email so I did that overseas uh got everything arranged on email and so i'm sitting here and i'm moving through this process that i've been trained and i'm thinking this is crazy i'm i'm actually going to do my first real estate loan while deployed to afghanistan and I, you know, you're know, you always preparing, something's gonna happen, the numbers aren't gonna work out, something's gonna be funny. And it, things just kept marching forward, moving very smoothly. I ran the deal by my investors who had all said that they would wanna participate in something like this, uh, got it funded very quickly. And so then we sent out wiring instructions, money comes in, uh, we did the loan, the, the title company handled the title, they handled escrow closed out escrow borrower came in signed documents and I got notification about an hour before we kicked off to go out on mission got notification that I got a copy from an email from the closing and title company there were copies of executed documents um, and funds were dispersed and I thought man I I actually did my first real estate loan (laughs) while in Afghanistan. And then, you know, I started having these grand pictures of sitting on the beach or being on my yacht out in the Caribbean. I don't have a yacht by the way, but one day I'm going to get there. So I was thinking, man, I'm going to be on my yacht one day with my wife. We're going to be going to all these cool places. I'm going to be sitting there making loans. And I fell in love with the idea of not being geographically restricted. I can I have been since, I've been able to build out a team and I can do a loan in any state as long as I meet the requirements of that state, the legal requirements. Um, And that's, you have a whole team of attorneys. I mean, everybody that I need on my team is a licensed professional. And then on top of that, I don't pay for that team. It's the real estate investor that pays for that team. So they pay me to make sure that my money is safe when it's being lent out to them. Uh, I cannot think of a better way to invest in real estate than becoming the bank, uh, being a private mortgage investor, a private trust deed investor. Um, so yeah, that was I, that cool. was the very first deal, it was the most impactful because okay. when I got back from Afghanistan, we had a pretty rough trip. Uh, lost uh, so we operate in twelve man teams. Uh, on our twelve man team, we lost five guys, and it for me it, it was really a. Um, You know, I started seeing this light at the end of this tunnel and I saw, you know, the future for my role in special forces. And I I love the life. I I love the high adrenaline, very high, highly motivated men that I worked with, but I wanted something better for my family. I wanted to be around for my family and enjoy that. So at the end of that trip, when we got back in uh, late 14, I I went ahead and told my team, I said, guys, I'm I'm not going to reenlist. I had one year left, said, I'm not going to reenlist. I'm going to go ahead and get out. And uh, pursue this business opportunity. So I had one year after that, I got all my stuff in order. And during that one year from uh, November of 14, uh, I would say October 14, all the way to October 15, I did 27 more loans. I started to build out my network of people that were wanting to invest in real estate. But again, they did not have the time, the experience or the knowledge how to do that but they wanted their funds secured to real estate and I they mean, wanted uh, to be a part of projects.
0: And when like when you're talking about trying to build out, cause you're working basically a full-time job that's like without the geographical connections to it and you're building out a network that's strong enough for people to have confidence in you to want to put money with you. Right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So
0: like a lot of times I think a lot of people would struggle with, struggle with, they say like, well, I'm not experienced enough. People won't want to put money with me. Why would they believe in me to do that? Like credibility indicators right? Yeah. That's usually what you use for that kind of work is we're really, they're identifying and like more of like a common business vernacular. Like, what did you do that helped you one have the confidence to be able to do that? Like, yeah, sure. I can take your money and make sure it's okay. And then two, to be able to communicate that such that people really did believe it.
1: Well, it's interesting because the way that I structure my deal, I never took anybody's money. Uh, that was something I was very you know uh ponzi schemes start off with the best i think the majority of ponzi schemes started off with the best of intentions somebody saw an opportunity and they said you know what i can i've got the confidence i can make that happen uh i'm gonna go to my uncle joe or i'm gonna go to this guy that i know hey give me your money i will invest it the, this is my plan da, da, da." and so they give them their money and and they take their money based on a debt position so they're telling that person hey man you're gonna get x percentage you're gonna get x amount And then what happens is that the investment doesn't pan out. Something happens, but they're obligated to pay that person money. So then they go and find somebody else like, you know what? If I can just get a little bit more money, I can cover that debt and I'll be able to pay them back. Give me a few more months. That's how Ponzi scheme starts. So for me, it was instrumental that I did not touch people's money, uh, And in this business, there are companies called servicing companies. And so a servicing company handles all the flow of money. There's no risk for me to take somebody's money. So for me, it was very easy to say, hey, listen guys, this is my plan, this is what we're doing, these are my guidelines, my criteria, this is my secondary and tertiary orders of effect, these are my courses of action if anything happens. So I've got a solid plan in place, which is number one, you have to have a solid plan in place. But number two, I had licensed professionals that were basically there as a buffer between me and anything that would cause an investor to not trust me. So by having third party players, third party actors involved in my business plan, it built that level of trust. It elevated the my trustability, if you will, with uh, future investors. And of course, word of mouth is huge. You have somebody that sort of puts that, you know, that um, I'm going to trust you, that first stick out there and you do well by them. You stick to what your plan is. They will talk very highly of you. It may not be the first deal. It may take several deals, but my business has grown largely in part by word of mouth
0: so do you do you like show that planning document to everybody as part of like your public appeal to be like, "Hey, come check out this is the plan if you're looking, so, at that, like this, yeah,
1: is that's an excellent question um right so right now we're starting to get into s e c type things, right so I had to be very careful when I was first starting this I only talked with family and friends, people that actually knew me and I had an existing relationship with um I was not in a position at that point legally to go out and say, hey, here's my investment. Here's my, what we call a private placement memorandum. Here's all my marketing material. If you want to invest, you can invest with me. Um, I did not have the legal capabilities to do that. So at first it was very slow and I was very restricted to only talking to family and friends and only they, it was really basically, you know, people that I knew, people that knew me and knew what I was trying to do. To grow that, obviously it was word of mouth referral, but even before that, I would walk through somebody and there is this, I want to say unwritten because it's not written, but it's it's a generally understood guideline, if you will. That uh, it's the three touch rule. I'm sure many of your investors may have heard of this, but the SEC requires a three touch rule. And again, in 2016, when the Jobs Act was passed, there's a lot of things that changed in the regulation world for raising capital for investments. But by and large, uh, the rule, the unwritten rule is three touches, you know over a span of 45 days or longer, and on top of that, whoever's investing with you or into your opportunity, they need to have a very clear understanding of what it is that you're doing. So the documentation, your question to me was, did I give them a plan, a documentation? I didn't didn't give them a plan, a formal written out plan, such as like a legal document, like a PPM or any other type of operating agreement. What I did do is I would show them, hey, listen, these are my guidelines. Like here's a 178, at this point, it's 178 point checklist. Back then it was much less uh, due to lessons learned. Uh, But at that point is you know, just just under 100 point checklist that, hey, when I'm looking at a loan opportunity, these are the things that I cover. These are the things that I make sure that I have. And then based on that and my guidelines, Uh, which were rules for my company, uh, such as loan to value. We will never do loans more than this loan to value. We will never loan to properties located in these areas, things like that. So with those two documents, my guidelines, and then my checklist, I went to the investors and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. uh, If we knew each other. Um, And so that's how, that's how I presented myself in my plan.
0: That's cool. Because it's kind of like saying, like, here's like the system without having to talk about any particular investment. It's kind of like you're, you're pitching out to people say, Hey, like I've written down of what I think the best ideas are that people can do in this arena. Yeah. If you agree with that, then put some money with me and I'll invest it according to like exactly what this plan is and I'll execute it. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found that's really cool from some of my military buddies is that like they're accurate to that stuff, like almost to a fault, which is like, <laughs> That'll take them forever to do a project sometime, but they'll do it like every little niche step of the way, which yeah, I think you find a lot of vets that come out uh, can be really successful because they're like, oh yeah, you gave me a plan. I can just grind through that all day. Yes. No problem yep. into it, which is really neat. I was wondering about too with that, like, so I, first of all, I think that's neat um, to a good way to pr- attract other people is to have like an open book approach on like, here's just how I think it's the best way to do it. Um, instead of like trying to do like a hype game, you know, yeah, uh, which is a totally different type of way of attracting people, which I think is really not nearly as um, healthy uh, for a lot of ways, long-term. Um, but I was, I was wondering about like where we have modifications to the plan, like as we go along. Right. Because mm-hmm. ostensibly what you, what you do to people when you show them a plan and say, here's the best ideas that I have. And then holy smokes, like actually we did something and it didn't really work out that way. So I actually need to add a bunch more checklist points to my checklist. Yeah. Like I have over here, right? Yeah. What is that like? Um uh, you know, as a somebody that's building a fund when you have to have that conversation uh, with your investors and, and how do you how do how do you do that? How do, how do that what does that look like?
1: Modification. So there is this great uh, process. The military is really big on process. Some people think that we're just, you know, knuckle draggers and we just go through and we're yes men, right? But there is actually a process. Uh, we always do a a a, plan, a briefing on whatever we're going to whatever mission our mission is, and then after the mission is done, when it's all said and done, and we all get back to the base, whether uh, together as a team or or whether we're missing, uh, not because we left them, but they're you know men are they've been hurt and they're in care. We always do an after action review an AAR, and i found that in the business uh, of lending, when I'm loaning money out you know, our, the modifications in the, during, during the loan is, there's not that many modifications. It, it tends to be on the, on, on the back end after we get our capital back, like, okay, you know, was there problems with the borrower? Was there problems with their plan? Okay. How can we vet their plan better? How do we know that they've got the right team in place uh, when they're renovating that property and they're coming to us and, and borrowing our money How can we vet that plan? How can we make sure that these pieces are in place? What are some third-party companies? So we always did this after-action review. So I would sit down, we get our money back. Uh, Of course, again, I never touched anybody's money. Uh, The borrower sells the property. That title company or closing company, whatever handled that deal. They would send the funds back to our servicing company. And then the servicing company would send me a, a, a statement of distribution. It would show me, hey, this all these are your investors. This is what they're getting back. Um, do you approve? I would go through and I would double check the numbers to say, yes, that is what they're supposed to get. And so once they get the money back, then I get everybody on a conference call, much like what we're doing now. And I would say, okay, uh, everyone these are, these are some lessons learned as, as we went through the project. Uh, these are some areas that I feel we need to improve. Uh, these are some weak points uh, within our underwriting guidelines or within our process. And then we would go back and I would look at my, I would go back and actually edit my underwriting my guidelines and I would say, okay, this is what we, during this phase of a loan underwriting or a loan processing, Uh, This is documentation that we need to ask for, or this is a third party company that we need to reach out to and and verify and confirm. So AARs after action reviews are really critical and people can do that in any business. My wife's a wedding photographer. And when, before she does a wedding, photo shoot, she gets with her second shooter and she does a, a debriefing. This is what I expect, setting up my expectations. After the, after the wedding's done, she immediately gets with the second shooter and says, hey, this is, these are things that I noticed that we can improve on. And I think any of your, real, any of your investors, any of the listeners that are listening, uh, if they implement that process, it will help them grow and be able to keep track of things that they missed or things that they weren't, uh, that were not on point and make those corrections and adjustments.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that needs to be part of everybody's process. It's a process we do a lot at Royal Legal Solutions a lot too. It's just yep. team management. I mean, we're up to 25 team members right now. And so being able to look at projects and do you know an after evaluation of what went wrong or not, and, yep. and those is really important. Um, there's something that you're doing that I think is exceptionally cool with how you're approaching your business model, uh, with how you're taking, and I think it fundamentally started with trying to and just correct me if I'm wrong here the fundamentally started with saying hey I'm gonna actually propose all of the underwriting guidelines and here's the checklist of what exactly we're gonna do all you have to do is trust me enough to know that this is what I'm gonna execute I'm gonna show you here the full game plan what it is right that's it so now like investors have a really low threshold into how much they have to trust you because they're really just saying can he execute the plan which is not, there's no magic to it. And they can come in at any time and say, are you doing it? Or are you not? And be like, yep, here I am. This is where I am on the checklist. You can verify it for yourself and there you go. It's easy for them to verify. So the level of trust is super low now, which allows people to best with you easier. Number one, awesome awesome idea of doing that. (laughs) Number two is that because you showed them the plan, you've actually recruited them to be business owners with you to say, we all agreed that this was the right underwriting plan and the right checklist that we were going to solve for it before we got into it. So something went wrong. It's not edwin versus investors and what did you promise me versus what was delivered it's that we were all in this together as a team and we all signed off on this because we agreed to what the planning documents were from the very beginning so now you probably i would guess with that type of uh, business strategy which you also probably have is really long-term clients or long-term investors and probably low conflict pieces when things don't go wrong because everybody's are probably much more prone to accept personal responsibility for whatever happened to go wrong with the investment just in general. Is that yeah. fair? Is that true? Did I did I guess that right?
1: I would say yes. Uh I obviously every business uh, every business is a learning experience. And so what uh I've got three core values. Uh first off is communication. Uh, second is extreme ownership, which is by the way, is a great book written by two Navy SEALs. Um so and you, then my can, third is
0: has that one extreme ownership uh-huh jacko right yeah yeah jacko I mean, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. and leaf babin
1: right. yeah great yeah. guys they've yeah. actually got a new book out um
0: got me waking up every day at 4 8, Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Damn, Jacko. got me all motivated all pumped up got me
1: all <laughs> yeah man they they definitely man they, they're they're great as consultants for their uh for the corporate business life but um um And my third core value is giving back. So those are the three things that I really, really focused on. When I first started this, I think I set the standard. I set the expectations. So this is really important for all the listeners is setting expectations is absolutely key and critical. When you set the expectation, you are letting anybody you're working with know that, hey, this is what they should expect. And then because that's what they expect they're going to expect you to follow through with that and when you don't that's where problems come in or when you don't set the expectation and you leave assumptions out there and we all know what assumption to assume means it means to make an ass of you and me so when you allow assumptions to be out there people will assume whatever they feel is in their best interest not what reality is or not what your expectations are they're going to assume automatically from a place of default what best suits my needs and my interest. So when you don't set those expectations up front, then yes, you run the risk of you know, not meeting your investors expectations because you didn't set them. So when I first started, uh, I set very high expectations because I wanted to be very high touch with my investors. What I realized is that my investment model is very passive. Somebody invests and then they sit back and they collect monthly checks. That's it. There's they don't have to run around. They don't have to go to a Lowe's Home Depot. They don't have to do anything. It's literally very passive. Once a loan is made, it's very passive. On, it should be very passive on my part. The borrower, as long as they're making their monthly interest payments and the project is moving according to their, their timeline and their scope of work or their scope of repair, there's no concern. However, when I first started, uh, I was very high touch. I was literally sending updates. I was, I was pestering the borrower. Uh, the investor. I need updates. I want to see photos. Where are we at? Where, where are the permits? Where are we at on this? Where are we on that? I was driving the real estate investor nuts because they're like, in their mind, they're like, this isn't the lender I want to work with. I want to work with a lender that says, okay, I've done my underwriting. Here's your loan. Make sure you pay me every month. I'll see you either when the loan matures or whenever you sell the property. That's what they wanted. And because I had miscommunicated, I had set the expectations for my investors so high, I was now being forced to be very high touch with my real estate investors. And then when they were busy or they couldn't get me the information that I had requested, my investors who were investing into the loans, they were getting agitated because I wasn't clearly and accurately communicating with them the way that I had set those expectations. So, you know, I I think that that's really important when you're looking for investors to invest in your, your, your opportunity, your business, whatever it is, setting those expectations and being clear with those expectations not only on the people you're working with but on yourself is really critical. It's key. It it saves you a lot of stress and heartache. So now I've, you know, I've I've readjusted obviously as we we learn, we grow, we we make adjustments where necessary. So now it's like, "Hey guys, here's the investment opportunity. This is what I've underwritten. This is where we're at." Uh, do you want to invest in the loan or not? They say, yes. I say, okay, unless you miss an interest payment, then you expect to get an interest payment every month. Uh, I give quarterly updates for my fund as, as the fund grows and as we're looking at different uh, large opportunities. But other than that, they get their interest payment and they get a quarterly update. And, and that's, that's where I'm at now, which makes my life a lot easier and allows me to be a little bit more, a little bit less uh, high touch on the real estate investor. And I can focus on giving good quality service to my investors. So that was something that I learned early on is setting those expectations. It's really, really critical and important to uh, have that conversation.
0: With that too, Edwin, is that it typically doesn't matter what the expectations are, as long as they're set and you meet them.
1: Right? Exactly.
0: Yep. If you, if you, even if you give amazing quality customer service and work to people, if you set the expectation just a little bit beyond what you're able to achieve, even though you didn't achieve it, but what you still gave was amazing, they're still pissed. Yep. you know absolutely. so like it's a really so important that we set these expectations for others that they're really clear and they're highly achievable and that's actually how we turn out looking like rock stars right absolutely it's because absolutely. You just he's like they, he always delivers on exactly what he says but nobody actually knew like what the quality of what he delivered was was it crap or was it great we don't know but we trust him <laughs> because he always delivers right and that's just i think how one of the ways that we're always like hardwired into it right and i know you wouldn't give bad quality work. Right. I'm just saying like, that's just actually the way people's minds work. Yes, them, absolutely.
1: You're my absolutely.
0: Right. And right? to it, that's cool, man. Well I like to wrap up um, every conversation that we do with like a lesson learned um, uh, from today. Um, and, and this might just be part of like one of my, I'm more of like on a entrepreneurial, my mind's in business today. I've been doing a lot of, of podcasting on other people's shows as well on, yeah. uh, for entrepreneurship and sharing about that. And um the lesson learned that I had today was uh, from listening to you was um, I think the expectation stuff is great and and you might um, that that's a really strong point Uh, but it was about like the way to share with people what it is that you're doing and then to get buy-in from all of the stakeholders with the process and I think that's probably something that is really like neat in its own kind of way, right, like most yeah. investors will really work on these high level places of like oh most it seems like most investors work off of a, a position or business owners work on a position like do I like the guy do I kind of trust him and then just kind of shoot from the hip on it and when you share with people like all the processes um, and that, how they actually work, then you get this extreme buy in um, from your team um, and uh yeah man i i'm actually I'd be really interested in learning more from from how your military training actually creates like these team environments that you use to run like your fund and your like investment group. I bet there's some really neat insights um, that that gives you that'll probably be pretty unique uh, from other people that don't have that same type of experience because I haven't, I hear like people talk about it, you know, like yeah. what are you describing in a different way, but you're probably the first guy I've ever met that's, that business fits the ability to do that well, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and that just mitigates your risk and your stress level in all kinds of ways, you know, because like you're how pissed off can an investor be with you if, um, you know, they bought into the process and we're like, we were all in this together at the same thing. It's not like you're trusting Edwin. You're just saying, is this the right process? And it makes it objective, which is cool. Yep. So thanks for that lesson, man. That, uh, I'm going to take man. that with me here today. If you wanted to leave the listeners with a particular lesson learned from your talk here today, what, what do you think that would be?
1: Never compromise your guidelines never never compromise your guidelines when you start looking to the dollar the almighty dollar uh you will make mistakes uh it happened to me um and you will absolutely make mistakes so when you no, get your- edwin
0: it happened to you <laughs> <With> You're <laughs> yeah. discipline you're a green beret I know. like I know. I know man and you did it huh
1: i did it, it i guess it, it, it can
0: happen to anybody crazy <laughs>
1: Yeah. It'll, uh, that almighty dollar will get the best of it. best. of yeah. Um, and so when you start getting tempted to compromise, cut, take shortcuts, um, not stick to what, you know, you should be doing. Um, that's when it's going to rear up and bite you hard in the rear, bite <laughs> you hard. Truth. Take it to church, Truth.
0: brother. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, Edwin. for anybody who wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I check LinkedIn more than, I'm on LinkedIn more than I am on Facebook. Uh, they can reach out to me on Facebook as well. Uh, you can go to my company's website, um, verticalfundmgmt.com. And uh, I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn, uh, somewhat on Facebook, but I tend to, Facebook's more personal. So um, definitely LinkedIn. Uh, I'll reach out and I love to talk about business, about life, whatever is going on in people's, uh, whatever they need help with or if there's something that's on their mind or on their hearts then absolutely let's uh, get down dig into it and uh, find a solution
0: love it yeah guys and we'll have all the, uh, the information on leaks in the show notes so if you're listening to it go to the show notes uh, connect up with edwin if uh, if you like his style try to see if you can steal his checklist and his underwriting requirements that's probably worth about ten thousand dollars and he'll probably. Oh, yeah. Nice enough
1: to to. Actually, to, you know what, Scott? Uh, I've been yeah. approached several by several people that want to know how to learn how to how to invest in private mortgages because you have a lot of real estate investors at clubs that are always looking for money, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got people that have self directed IRAs, QRP's, four hundred one ks, whatever the case may be, and they're self directed. They can they can direct those investments into whatever. And so they have. I've had people starting to ask me, "Hey." what is that process? How can I learn to become a lender and, you know, find somebody in my local area that I, that I trust and that I want to, I want to loan money to, but I have a a process, a guideline. So uh, a buddy of mine out in California and I are putting our heads together. We're actually trying to create a curriculum right now in training people how to become the bank. Cool. So I like
0: it. Well, you should definitely get that up, get an minimum buy product up and uh, and launch that out, and uh, connect back up with me whenever you guys get that going, and okay. uh, we start offering that to uh, to our audience and all the people who, you. You know, Royal Legal Solutions. We got about two thousand clients across the country, and uh, we have a lot more people than just that that we're connected to. Yeah. But um, I'm all about trying to say, like, what are the smartest minds that we can think in any of these fields? How can we create processes that are going to be dependable and actually streamlined enough to actually get down to the nuts and bolts? What are we actually doing that's effective, and you know, cutting out all the fat because um, that's what I'm all about. So um, let's definitely connect up about that. That'll be great. And uh, okay. but in the meantime, everybody reach out to Edwin. Uh, do your best to try to steal steal all the stuff for free before he <laughs> starts selling it for thousands of dollars. You know, good luck uh, getting it out of him. And uh, until next time, guys, of course, I'm Scott Royal Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions. You're listening to the Real Estate Nerds podcast. Uh, feel free to reach out to us at royallegalsolutions.com. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Bye-bye. That's all for this best deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one, so keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.